love that song, No Turning Back. It's, it's from, when I was a kid, my favorite song that they played at the end of the service is the invitation hymn was, I have decided to follow Jesus. I'd just be singing. And so when I was sitting at the Y a few weeks ago, I was injured doing my little recumbent bike thing. And this song came on. I thought, man, we've got to do that. It's got to be part of this series. And so uh, I don't know if you enjoy it, but we, we, the band's working on it and we're going to be doing it in a few weeks. A couple of quick announcements and then we'll get into our second uh, sermon of the series. If you contributed to New Life last year and you need those contribution statements for um, your taxes, they are in on, out in the living room on a table. It, they're alphabetized and you just grab that and take it with you. Um, just wanted to let you know that those are available. Uh, tonight we start small groups, five o'clock. The food tonight is casserole, some type of casserole. And um, there's three different groups that are going on. My group meets in here. We're going to spend four sessions on what does the Bible say about Jesus. Um, after we finish that, we'll do four sessions about what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit. We've looked at the Bible and, and, and God, now we're at Jesus and then the Holy Spirit. Jeff and Teresa will be in the back in the youth room. Uh, Jaime and Kelsey are going to help with that group as well. They're going to be studying uh, Psalm 119. So they're going to be walking through that uh, the whole... Uh, Psalm. That's going to be a good study back there. Um, over here in the house, Casey and, and Sherry will be leading His Needs, Her Needs, one of the, the absolute best series that I've ever done um, as far as understanding the opposite sex. I require it when I do um, weddings. I require that they go through this because if nothing else, you learn your needs, you learn her needs, you spend your life meeting her needs, she spends her life meeting your needs, you like each other, you do not get a divorce. If you do not meet each other's needs, you begin to not like each other other and there's going to be a point where you're probably one of you or both of you going to walk away. So Willard Harley did this back in the 70s. He was teaching a Sunday school class and somebody said, you need to write this down. He said, nobody would ever buy it. So somebody in his class wrote down a transcript of his teaching Sunday school and it became a bestseller to this day. It's still a bestseller. It is excellent. Um, so you can go through that with Casey and Sherry over in the house. Um, women's Bible study starts this week. They're, this is the first session of the armor of God. That's on Tuesday night. And then a couple of things about the Haiti fundraisers. First of all, I left it over there. We do have some t-shirts that are being sold. All of the, the profits from this go towards our Haiti mission trip. This is the faith can move mountains. Um, Michelin is doing these shirts, but she's, she's donating all of the uh, profits to our Haiti mission trip. And then we have out there, if you've seen in the living room, there's envelopes on the wall. They have a number on them. That is the number that we're asking you to give. It's numbered from one to 100, and that's dollars. Uh, so we want you to contribute that. If you've taken one, we need to know who it was that, t that took it. There's several that are already missing. Somebody didn't sign up. It's just so that when we get to the February 25th, when they're due, we'll know who we need to call and say, hey, did you remember to do this? You don't have to stop at that dollar amount. You can do uh, double, triple, quadruple, uh, 10 times the amount, whatever you want to do, and it all goes towards our Haiti mission trip. And then we're also going to try something new. Um, February 16th, back here on the back parking lot, we're going to do a drive-in movie. We'll set up speakers out there. We'll have a big uh, screen across the back of the church. We'll project a movie up there. And what we're going to do is sell tickets ahead of time. You can still buy them that night, but your ticket gets you a hot dog, gets you a um, drink, gets you chips and candy, plus the movie. Uh, we'll probably have a bonfire back down there by the shooting range. No shooting will be allowed during the bonfire. Um, some things like that. But anyway, we're just going to try that and see how that works. We've always wanted to do one, and we think it's time to do that. Uh, at the back, the way we do things at our church is at the, at the back there are baskets in the living room, and I'm going to go ahead and get that out of the way. So one of the things we do here, the way we give is we give to a joy basket. We don't pass, 
We don't pass an offering plate um, because actually in scripture, they, they put money in a box. So we have a basket and you put it back there. You can go online, nlccp.com, and there's a little thing that says online giving if you want to set that up. Um, I actually watched somebody set that up yesterday and it took about 22 seconds. I don't remember how long it took you. Um, but it, it doesn't take long to set it up and then you can give off of your phone. Second basket is our registration card basket. So what I like to do is I like to ask you to write something on the back of that card, maybe something that God tells you in the sermon, or if you have a prayer concern, write that on there. If God has answered prayer, please share those with me because that builds my faith when God works in your life as well. So put that on there. And then we have a third basket called the bagel basket. Everything that goes in there goes towards building projects. All right. Now, last week we started this series uh, saying a few things. First thing we said was being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. In fact, it's a prerequisite. You must be a sinner. Jesus didn't call people who weren't sinners. He said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's sinners. And this messed up the religious people because the better a person was, the less they thought they needed to follow Jesus. And, and they just, they didn't understand because he kept inviting those who weren't good enough to follow him. Second thing we said was being, a, being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify. You can be a sinner, you can be an unbeliever. None of the people who followed Jesus in the first century believed he was the son of God until after he rose from the dead. So you don't have to be a believer in order to follow him. Next thing we said was Jesus' invitation was to, uh, to follow was to a relationship he did not invite them to follow the rules. He did not even invite them to the Ten Commandments. And I told the early service, sometimes when I'm studying, I get chasing rabbits. Well, I chased a rabbit. And I, I decided to look how many commands are in the Old Testament. We just know about the Ten Commandments. That's the big ones. They're the, the way the, the Jews count it, there are 613 commands and regulations in the Old Testament. And only a good person follows those, right? But it's not enough. The religious leader said, we must interpret all those. And I'm going to tell you just about two of them. One of them, well, actually just one. One of them relates to the Sabbath. It says that you should do no work on the Sabbath. The religious leader said, well, that's not clear enough. Let's define. So they have 39 subcategories of what it means to work on the Sabbath, including how many steps can you take on the Sabbath before it's work and how many letters can you write down if you're writing something down before it's work. And that's just insane to me because even under those 39 subcategories, there's more subcategories. So you could literally have a thousand or over a thousand rules about not working on the Sabbath day. Jesus said, I didn't invite you to follow rules. He said, I invite you to follow me. People didn't understand that. They'd never heard a message like that before because religious people said, you got to be good. And religious people said this, they screamed out, change and you can join us. Follow the 613. That's a starting point. Then the other thousands, if you follow them, then you can join us. Jesus came along and he said, no, 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 no. Join us and you'll change. He said, I want you just to spend some time with me. Just hang out with me. And in doing that, because I'm the son of God, because I'm who I said I was, because I raised from the dead, just hanging out with me, you will change. And so the question that he, he asked people everywhere he went was, will you follow? And what do you do with that? When he asks you, are you going to follow? What do you do with that? You either accept it or reject it. And delaying an answer is rejecting him. If you say, I'm just not ready, well, you're rejecting him. So the question we're going to come back to over and over is this, am I following today? Am I following today? Not what you did six months ago. I don't, have, I don't care what you've done and how recently you've done it. I'm asking today, are you following Jesus today? Uh, now in the New Testament, we have four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. Matthew um, was an eyewitness follower. He was a disciple. He wrote down what he saw. 
Um, Mark hung out with Peter a lot and wrote down a lot of Peter's stories. Peter was um, a disciple, an eyewitness. Luke was a, a physician. He was a doctor who hung out with a lot of the disciples and investigated those things. And, and in fact, the, the book of Acts, there's a lot of um, evidence that maybe he actually hung out with Paul, the apostle Paul, in writing the book of Acts. So that he wrote down eyewitness stories. And John was also the disciple that Jesus loved, and he was an eyewitness. So we have four accounts. Now, um, anytime you have eyewitness accounts, you're probably going to get different details. For example, last week, whenever I wore my pearl snap shirt so that I could dance with Hannah, I didn't know what that was called. I knew that in the middle of the dance, we had this little blackout scene and we were supposed to do hip hop afterwards. So I called Janie. I said, Hey, I need one of those pop button shirts so that I can go, you know, put my hat on backwards and we can dance hip hop. Hannah's changing over here. I said, I need a pop button shirt. I didn't know what it was called until Travis walks in and he goes, Hey dude, what's up with the pearl snap shirt? Well, I'm pretty quick. I'm like, Oh, this is a pearl snap shirt. And about a dozen of you said, we love pearl snap shirts. You looking good today in your pearl snap shirt. I got it. But if you'd asked me, before last Sunday, what it was, I said, it's a pop button shirt. You know, that's what I would have told you. So you would have gotten a different um, eyewitness account from me because I didn't know what it was called than you would from Travis Pearl Snap. The point is, in the scriptures, we have different eyewitness accounts. And in fact, if all of the eyewitness accounts were exactly the same, you would say, I would say, somebody got together and staged this thing. They're making it up because they got together and made sure everything was exact. You would expect different eyewitnesses to have different details, and that's what we have in the scriptures. Now, today, we're going to look at a story about Jesus that comes from two of the, the, the writers of the New Testament. It comes from Matthew, and it comes from Luke. Same story, different details. Matthew wrote for a Jewish audience, and he just barely touches the surface of what happens in this story. And if you're a Jew, you would understand. Jesus was walking around. He was a rabbi. And when he asked somebody to follow him, that he was asking them to be his professional public student. Everybody in the Jewish um, nation understood this. And so, but if all you read was Matthew's account, you get an incomplete picture of what it means to follow Jesus because Matthew... Um, doesn't tell us everything that happened. And when I was a kid growing up and actually into my adult years, I had a problem with this story and I had a problem with the way my, my church taught it. And I think you'll understand in just a minute. Pick it up in Matthew chapter four, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they were casting their nets. That's what it says. Chunking their nets. Jesus comes, follow me. Okay. I mean, did they jump in the, I don't know. It just immediately, it says that they followed him. I think it's a little bit unrealistic. I'm mowing the lawn out here. I'm mowing the church lawn. Some dude walks up and goes, stop, follow me. Okay. Right? That, that, this just bothers me. And it's about to bother me more because look what happens next. Going on from there, he saw two brothers. So he had Simon and Andrew brothers, two more brothers, James, son of Zebedee and his brother, John. They were in their boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their, their nets. So they're not chunking them, but they're getting ready to chunk them out in the water. Jesus called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This doesn't seem spiritual to me. It seems disrespectful. Hey, Dad, the dude on the shore in the sandals asked us to follow, and we're gonna. See ya. The church I grew up in, hellfire brimstone, fire coming from their eyes, you know, spit flying. There was a no-sit zone in the front because of spit flying, you know. And, and they would say, you must, they were angry. You must follow Jesus now. Your devotion to Jesus must be now. You know. And I'm like, 
Can I finish high school first? Do I have to give up my girlfriend? Because my sixth grade year, we had a guest speaker come to our youth group. And she said, it is a sin in the eyes of God for middle schoolers to look at other people of the opposite sex. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you cannot have a boyfriend or girlfriend. That messed me up. And so for a year, I didn't. And you got to understand, my sixth grade year, see, in, in Borger, Texas, B-O-R-G-E-R, not Border, Borger, Borger, Texas, there were two elementary schools. And in sixth grade, they merged. There was a whole new crop of girls. And they looked good. And I was confused. I'm like, I can't. Nope, not if you're going to follow Jesus. And, you know, looking back, no, nah, I'm not even going to go there. Lord, tell me not to. I can't go there. But I was messed up because I couldn't follow Jesus and have, so I, I just decided I can't follow Jesus. And that sixth grade year confirmed in my mind that there were certain denominations that I couldn't be a part of because I like girls. If I was going to be a minister, you know, people in my family, if I was going to do that, I'm grateful to God that I was in the Baptist church and they let me have a girlfriend who I married. I love my wife. I still call her my girlfriend to this day. I'm just, uh, and see, I don't know if, I don't know if my church didn't preach the rest of the story or if I just wasn't listening. I, I'm sure it's both, right? Because I, I, I can't even go there. Sorry, Lord, I won't go there. Matthew told us what happened, but he didn't tell us all that happened. He told us what Jesus said, but he didn't tell us everything that Jesus said in this story. And so I'm grateful to God that Luke comes along. Dr. Luke comes along. And he's writing to people like you and me who are non-Jews. Any non-Jew was called a Gentile. So we're Gentiles. He was writing to people like us who would need a little bit more information before chunking our nets, follow, and leaving, right? That's Gentile, so that's us. And I want you to see why, Matthew, uh, why Luke wrote down this book of the Bible we call Luke. He wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. In the chapter 1, verse 1, he tells us why he wrote it. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. He's talking about Jesus. They use the eyewitness report circulating among us from the early disciples of Jesus. Having carefully investigated, now here's a rabbit trail I went down because I wanted to know what investigated meant. And, and it actually, this is funny to me, it's ironic, I don't think it's necessarily ironic, but Dr. Luke used a term that could be, it wasn't in this case, but it could be translated autopsy. I just think that's funny that the doctor, the physician said, I have dissected this thing to the bottom from the beginning and here's what, and, and I also decided to write an accurate account for you. Most honorable Theophilus. We don't know who he was, but he was a Gentile. And he needed some details, and Luke provided it. And he says, so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. Luke said, I've studied it, I've dissected it. Here's the truth, Theophilus. You need to follow this. Now, Luke's going to give us some more details about this thing that happened by the Sea of Galilee. Chapter 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, oh no, you said Sea of Galilee in Matthew, and this says Gennesaret. Luke was writing to Greeks or Gentiles, and they understood the body of water that we, we know as the Sea of Galilee. They called it Lake Gennesaret. There was another group that called it Lake Tiberius after the Caesar. Let me show you where this was. Same body of water. So you see up here, this is the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is eight miles long and 13 miles wide, and it is spectacular in, in my opinion. It's the, only, it's the largest freshwater um, body of water in Israel. It's also the second lowest body of water 
on the planet, second only to the sea, uh, the Dead Sea. So I think that's interesting that, that this one is full of life. You go just a few miles down here to the Dead Sea, and there's no life in it. Now, um, Jews would call it the Sea of Galilee. Everybody else that was a non-Jew would call it Lake Gennesaret. Now, I want you to see a couple of pictures. Here's, it, it is spectacular. Uh, one of my favorite, actually, I think it was my favorite place in Israel was visiting the Sea of Galilee. I love going to the Garden Tomb. I loved all of that stuff, but just hanging out where Jesus walked. This is very close to where they think he gave the Sermon on the Mount. He was up overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and I remember sitting there just being blown away. Jesus taught here. My brother walked down the, the hill and pulled out the Bible and read, and he's, he's 100, 150 yards away, and you could hear him very clearly. It, it makes sense that if this was it, this is where Jesus would have taught the Sermon on the Mount. Thousands of people were there. It's just spectacular. Next picture. If you go, and I would like to take a group next year, or the year after, if you want to go, let me know and we'll start putting that together. Uh, but if you go, you're going to get on a boat like this. This is a tourist boat. So one of the parts of your tour is you go get on this boat. It is not a fishing boat. It's a tourist boat. In fact, the only people who get on here are Christian tourists because they sail out a little bit in the Sea of Galilee and then they start singing to you Christian music. I will follow you. And people that aren't Christians, they think it's just weird. So only the Christians go get on this boat and you say, Jesus walked on water out here and then they start singing. And it's awesome to be out there singing, but non-Christians don't get on this. This was not a fishing boat. This was a fishing boat. They've actually found a boat from the time of Jesus that they raised. It's in a museum. It's not all together, but it's about this size. And you can see there were men in it. You can see what they're doing. They're casting their nets. They're fishing. So we know when they find stuff like this, when archaeologists find things like this, all it does is confirm that the Bible is true. They call it actually the Jesus boat. When you go to the museum, it's the Jesus boat because it comes from the time of Jesus. This is what it was looking about like. All right, pick up the story. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. The people were crowding around him, and what were they doing? Listening to the word of God. Jesus is walking, he's preaching, and lots of people, not a few, lots of people, not just the two sets of brothers that you would think from Matthew's account, not Simon and Andrew and James and John, lots of people were listening to Jesus, and that's what you need to understand. Following Jesus always begins with information, listening. Following does not begin with this impulsive decision, chunk your net, follow, okay, it always involves questions being answered. It always involves a little bit of a certain amount of information being exchanged so that you know who this is that you're following. If you're ever in a church that says no questions, or any group for that matter, that says no questions allowed, don't walk, run away. Because they are not of God. Because real following, real faith always is built on truth. Truth comes from the word of God. It's based on teaching, mentoring, um, Asking questions, having those questions answered. And Paul actually, actually tells the church in Rome, he says this about faith. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Right before that, Paul says, how can someone believe in someone they've never heard of? And then he says, how can they hear it unless you tell them? Somebody's got to go preach to them. And he says, once they hear, once they begin to process the information, then faith happens later. So as Jesus is teaching, he, he reveals to us that God is the perfection of father and the perfect father never turns anyone away who has legitimate questions and needs those questions answered, needs more information. As Jesus is teaching, people are listening. They begin to crowd in up to him. He's next to the water's edge. Look what happens next in verse two. He saw at the water's edge, two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. 
Fishermen fished at night with nets. They didn't have, you know, they didn't have um, a rod and reel. In the morning, they would clean those nets by stretching them out between two poles or uh, over some rocks or something like that. And they would begin cleaning out all the beer cans and sunglasses so that they would be ready for their next trip the next night. You understand what I'm saying? So when it was completely dry, they would roll them up, take them home, store them during the day so that they would be ready for this fishing trip the next night. The men are mending their nets, listening to Jesus, mending, listening. Because there's a huge crowd there. You'd be, you'd be curious too. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing, doing their job, listening, doing their job, listening. And then look what happens. Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, also called Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. I just told you, faith comes from hearing. Somebody's got to teach. Somebody's got to preach. Hey, Pete, can I borrow your boat? Because I need to do some teaching and you need to do some listening. I've got a question for you. Who or what are you listening to? Because following always begins with information. It always begins with listening. So you should be very, very careful who, whom you're allowing to speak into your life. Faith is built around getting your, your questions answered. So Jesus is in this boat and, and Peter is a captive audience. He's listening. He was listening on the shore. Now he's listening in his boat. Look what happens. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, thanks for me letting me use your boat, dude. If you would like more information, go to my website and purchase these CDs. And we're about to stand and, and sing four stanzas of just as I am without one plea. And I want you to walk down that center aisle of this boat and follow everything and uh, leave everything and follow me. Is that what he said? No. What he said next was very unexpected because Jesus always did the unexpected. Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. All right, here it is. Look at me. He asked Peter to do something he'd done a thousand times before, but he asked him to do it in a way that was different. This is the key. Now, if you're Peter, two problems with this. Number one, we just finished cleaning the nets. We went fishing. We didn't do any catching. We just finished my least favorite part of fishing, which is not catching. It's cleaning is my least favorite part. We're ready to go home. And you want me to do what? Jesus with a twinkle in his eye. I want you to take me fishing, Pete. Second problem. I just told you we fished all night. And so Simon is respectful because he's talking to a rabbi, a good rabbi, but rabbis are a dime a dozen in Israel. Here's what he says. Simon answered, master, stop right there, master, not Lord. This is merely a sign of respect for his office. It's professor or sir or your honor. It's not, it's not your, your, your my Lord. It's, it's, hey, sir, excuse me, sir. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Now, they fished at night because the water would cool and, and the fish would come to the surface. They would chunk their nets out there. They would catch fish. During the day, it would get hot and the fish would go down lower and they would be unable to catch them. They had fished when they were supposed to fish and they'd caught jack. Jesus says, let's go fishing when you're not supposed to go fishing. And let's do it when this whole crowd of people is watching. I want, the, I want them to see whether you're going to be obedient to this little request that I'm making you. Now, I don't know what Peter was thinking, but it probably wasn't nice. If he's like Washburn men, he was mumbling. My dad, when I was younger, we didn't know what my dad said because he was mumble under his breath. As he got older and had got more hard of hearing, he started speaking louder. And we were grateful to God when we were kids. We didn't hear because we were hearing things. Our kids were hearing things. We're going, don't repeat what Papa said. No, no. He doesn't know. Everyone can hear him. But he was probably mumbling. You're a carpenter and you're telling me how to do my job. 
Not only that, you're telling me to do my job when everybody around, this whole crowd that's watching me, they know you're not supposed to fish and you're asking me to fish. What is wrong with you? But, but he didn't, we don't know what he was saying. Regardless, though, Jesus was asking, are you going to trust me? Are you going to be faithful? Are you going to obey? Look what happens. Because you say so, not because I think it's a good idea. In fact, I think it's a bad idea, not because I think it's going to work. In fact, I know it will not work. You're asking me to do something. I know it will not work, but only because it's you. Because I listen to you on the shore and I'm listening to you in the boat. And only because it's you, Rabbi, I'm going to let down my nets. That's what he says next. I will let down the nets. And the only reason we know who Peter is is because in this instance, he obeyed Jesus. He chose to do that little thing Jesus asked him to do. It was something he'd done a thousand times before. Jesus said, I want you to do it differently. He obeyed. And some of you are probably at this point today. God has been nudging you or he's elbowing you. Some of you flat out smacked you on the head and said, you need to do this. And you've been ignoring him. He wants you to trust him. And you have no idea what hangs in the balance if you say yes to this little bitty thing. Because just imagine, use your imagination and imagine if Jesus had showed Peter this before he asked him to do anything. What's that? Well, that's St. That's Peter's tomb. Well, that's pretty elaborate. Okay. Not only that, look at this, Pete. That's St. Peter's Basilica. What's a basilica? It's a church they build around a tomb. Great. Why are you telling me this, Jesus? Because you're St. Peter. Your life is going to have so much impact that someday somebody's going to spend 118 years building this monstrosity. And by the way, I don't believe it's the, the bones of Peter because I chased that rabbit too. Looking to see if, is it really the bones of Peter? Anyway, the point is you're going to do something that has so much impact in this world that somebody's going to dedicate 118 years to building this huge, impressive church to St. Peter. You are St. Peter. He shows him this and goes, now will you take me fishing? Because if you take me fishing, they're going to build monuments to you. Is that how Jesus works? No, 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 no. doesn't work like that. Peter had no idea what hung in the balance of being obedient to Jesus. One small step totally changed his life. Look what happens. When they had done so, not when they thought so, not when they discussed it and voted in a meeting, should we do this? When they had done so, when they did what Jesus asked, doing is what matters to Jesus in the Christian life. All the time I hear people say, I believe what's in the Bible. I just don't do it. Then you don't believe it. I believe in Jesus. Well, are you following? Nope. Then you don't believe him. Doing is what matters. Jesus' half-brother, James, actually said, if you, faith without action is dead. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Got the picture? Little boat with, they're sinking. So many fish, they're sinking. When, when Peter saw this, he said, hey, dad, we've got so many fish. We can go to Cabo San Lucas and we can drink some of those little fancy drinks with umbrellas in them. Thank you, God, for blessing me. Is that what he said? Nope. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. This is big because now he's saying, you're my Lord. You're the one that's in charge. Not, not sir, not professor, not your honor. You're my Lord. He recognized Jesus. And then look what happens next. I'm a sinful man. Go away. No, I can't have anything to do with you. I'm a sinful man. In this moment for, for Simon, it was no longer about the fish. 
In this moment, for the first time, he recognized who Jesus was. When you recognize who Jesus is, you recognize who you are, and you say, this is too much for me, Lord. Had this happened to me this week, I was talking to somebody and, and had no idea what to say, and by the end, God did something that was amazing in my eyes, and I walked right back up there where Travis is sitting, and I sat down, and I didn't blubber, but I had tears come in my eyes, and I, I said this. I'd just been studying this, and I said, I said, God, I can't believe you used me again. I don't know why, but I'm a sinful man, and it is too much for me. When you recognize who Jesus is, you recognize who you are, and all of a sudden, bowing becomes the right thing to do when you're in the presence of a holy God. We did this a few weeks ago when we, in, in church at the end. You know, I invited you to come, and some of you bowed for the first time. If you've never bowed, I, I believe you do not recognize who Jesus is because when you see him, you see you, and you're no longer worthy to stand. Look what happens. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. I'm sorry, I got to stop again. Jesus said, I have a plan for your life, Peter, but I couldn't tell you what that plan was until you trusted me. This was a test. Once you pass the test, I can trust you with more. If you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful with much. By obeying, your little bitty tiny bit of faith intersected my faithfulness and my power. <laughs> and now you know who I am. And, and here's the key. Now that you know who, and it's a capital W because we're talking about Jesus. Now that you know who, I can tell you what. People all the time say, I don't know what God wants me to do. Have you ever bowed before him and asked him? Because once you see, once you know who he is, then he can trust you with the what you're supposed to do next. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. These dudes are standing in those little bitty fishing boats. They're sinking because there's so many fish in there. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. And they're thinking, oh, he's going to get us to shore. Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. Fish for what, he say? No, they understood. Here's how we know they understood. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and they left everything and followed him. So you get these details now. It's a little bit more than chunk the net. Some random dude in sandals shows up and says, follow me. They had been listening. They had had their questions answered. Because they listened and they allowed Jesus to interrupt their plans, they obeyed him. He showed them a side of God they'd never seen before. And at that moment, they were willing to leave everything behind and follow him. Four phases I want to talk about following over the next few weeks. First one, and, and by the way, everybody is in one of these phases. First one is sit and listen. If you're here today, then you've taken a step to just listen to the Savior. And my, my encouragement to you is get some CDs, get some books, and, and spend. you don't have to sacrifice much at all, just a little bit of time to listen. Second phase is loan him your boat. This is the inconvenient step. It's inconvenient to loan him my boat. It's inconvenient to come to church. It's inconvenient to come to the early service and sit and then go to the second service and serve. It's inconvenient to come on Sunday nights because don't you know that the NFL playoffs are on and football is my God? Never heard anybody say that, but, but practically speaking. I know getting up 15 minutes early in the morning so you can do a version Bible study, that's inconvenient. 
but it's something that God is asking you to do. It just costs you a little bit of time. They're not asking you to break up. They're not asking you to move out. They're not asking you to quit your bad habits. Just spend a little time listening and loaning him the boat. And then number three, this is where the fun happens. Take him fishing. There's something your heavenly father wants you to do. You've done it a thousand times before, but he's asking you to do it a little bit differently. And it probably has something to do with a relationship, a job, or finances. God wants you to do relationships different than you've done them before. He wants you to do something at work different than you've done before. He wants you to do something with your money differently than you've done before. Well, how do you know which one? Well, here's the amazing thing about God. You've been coming, you've been sitting, you've been listening for a while, and God begins to prompt your heart. There's something you hear, and it pierces your heart, and you go, oh, man, I really need to do this. I really need to go to Haiti, or I really need to start giving, or I really need to start serving. There's something that pierces your heart, and it's not a one-time prompting. It's happened two, ten, a dozen times, 30 times before, and you hear it, and you know, I am supposed to do that and obey God. In the past, you never thought about it, didn't bother you, but now you sense you should do this one thing for God. And let me just tell you, you have no idea what or who hangs in the balance of you being obedient. And I don't think I'm overstating this at all. If you do what you've always done, you will get the same results you've always gotten. This decision right here is where your little bit of faith intersects God's faithfulness and power, and it will change your life. Jesus says, take me fishing, and you may be scared, but if you obey this little, one little thing, it's no longer going to be about your job. It's no longer going to be about your relationship. It's no longer going to be about your money. You're going to recognize God for the first time, and you will say, you are real. You do care and it's too much for me. I'm a sinful man or I'm a sinful woman. I don't have to tell you what this is because you already know because God's been, if you're at this step, if you're at the third phase, God has already been speaking. And if you're stuck, it's he's, he's spoken clearly and you've refused to obey. Number four, fourth phase is leave your nets. My whole life is yours, Lord. I'm not going to play this game where I say, God, you can have this area of my life and I'm going to hold on to this area. I'm not going to do that anymore. Though none go with me, I still will follow. So put those up there if you would, all four of them, Travis. You're at one of these phases and I want, to, I want you to, to ask yourself which one. Don't get stuck because God always wants you moving forward in a relationship with him. Don't be disobedient. Whatever that next step is, take it because... Obedience always precedes blessing. All, obedience always comes first. He doesn't say, hey, look at St. Peter's Basilica. That's you. Mm -mm. He says, trust me with a little bit. I can trust you with a lot. Obey in this one little area. June 2002, Janie and I were sitting at Lower Lake out here, um, out Highway 287-19. We were praying what we were supposed to do. Um, I had resigned from being a youth minister five months earlier. The money was running out. I thought I was going to go to another church. That fell through. And um, I had felt for years, actually a couple of years really strongly, a couple of years before that, um, God whispering, you're supposed to be a pastor. In fact, when I left Arlington, I was youth minister, and I came here. My pastor in 19, uh, let's see, what was it, 95. 1995, my pastor said, I think it's a mistake for you to leave this church and go anywhere to be a youth minister. I think you need to be a pastor. But we felt very strongly God was calling us to Southside Baptist Church. So I came and I was a youth minister there for seven years, resigned, um, and, and we were praying about what should we do. God, through friends and family and even through Janie, had said, I think you need to be a pastor. 
And, and so we said, okay, God, it sure seems like this is what you're calling us to do. And, and you need to understand, Janie, in her life, in my life, we had a thousand times we had done, actually several thousand, we had done traditional church. In fact, we'd been married 11 years at that point and just do the math. If we'd gone to church every Sunday, and we probably did because I was on staff that whole time we were married, 570 times we had done traditional church, just Janie and me together. And then when our kids come, we're taking them to traditional church. And, and we said, uh, God, are you leading us to do this? Janie said to me, she said, I don't want to look back 20 years from now and say, what did we miss? What if we had started that church when we felt like God was calling us to start that church? I don't want to miss it. Well, New Life Community Church is 16 years old this June 22nd. Um, and it started with a leave your nets moment which was preceded by a take him fishing moment, which was preceded by a loan him your boat moment, which was preceded by a sit and listen moment. This wasn't a spur of the moment deal. God had been leading and preparing for years for us to start this church. I'd been in, in ministry 19 years, four years part-time uh, and 15 years full-time service when God said, I want to call you to do something new. We're going to call it New Life Community Church. So I want you to think about where you were June 22nd of 2002 because Janie and I were at a, at, had a first church service of this church in what is now the Verizon building. There were 20-something people there. And um, we had been doing traditional church our whole lives. And God said, I want you to do something new. I want you to do it in a town where you've been youth minister for seven years and everybody's watching. And there were people, there were, there were folks who said, we will support you being a pastor anywhere else except in Palestine, Texas. If you start a church in Palestine, we will not support you. And uh, it was one of the hardest things we've ever done. We were, we were dirt poor. And, and God just kept showing up. Groceries being put on our front porch. Uh, we'd come out and there'd be a card, a Walmart gift card in the, in the offering for Doug and Janie to buy groceries. And we look back and we think, what if we had said no? And we, don't th we don't think we're special. I'm just saying we would have missed the ride of a lifetime. We had, we had heartbreaks at this church. We've had highs like I, I, there's no alcohol or drugs that can give you the highs when you see someone who is lost, give their heart to Jesus, and then when they come up and they're baptized. I will, I will do that over and over, no matter how many times I feel I'm stabbed in the back, no matter how many people say, I'm not going to support you if you start, I would do it again. I'm telling you this because God has something that he has been prompting you to do. And if you say no, you will regret it the rest of your life. But if you say yes, there's going to be a day you'll look back and you'll say, thank you, God, that I obeyed. Because now I know, my children know, my family know that you are real and you provide. Where you lead, you provide. That's why we started this church. And I believe there's some people here that we were supposed to reach that we didn't even know their names, June 22nd, 2002. And God would have provided. I, I don't for a second think that, that they wouldn't have come to Christ if we hadn't started. I'm just saying I would have missed out. My wife, my children would have missed out on the blessings of God if we'd said no. Did you bow your heads? I don't have to tell you what God is prompting you to do because God's prompted you dozens of times probably. 
if you're new to church or you've been out of church a long time, it, this, this may be a new prompting. But I know a lot of you have been here a long time. And, and it sure seems that you're stuck. The problem is not your Savior. The problem is your lack of obedience. Father, it's my prayer that we'll become a church that says, wherever Jesus leads, I'll follow. Though none go with me, I will follow. Because there's places around Palestine, Anderson County, that, that are in the darkness spiritually, and they need a light. There are places around the world, Haiti, Africa, that need a light, and, and somebody here is called to go. God, I pray that when, when these people are obedient to you, you pour out your blessings, pour out so much that they would not even believe it if they'd have been told ahead of time. And then when they look back, they say, thank you, God, for giving me the opportunity to be involved in your work. Speak clearly to your children, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.